Well, the United Nations released new population estimates this week. They're always fascinating. This one predicts that we will hit 8 billion people on planet Earth by the fall of this year. 8 billion people. Um, November 15th, to be precise, that's the date they have. I don't think it's supposed to be an exact date, but uh, that's the date they're predicting. And to top it all off in the same uh, set of predictions, India will replace China as the world's most populous nation next year. To me, that's, I mean, I think China has been the most populous country my entire life. Um, and it felt like that would never change. And here we are. And we, I mean, we knew this was coming, but uh, by next year, India will replace China as the most populous nation. In a report released on World Population Day, which was earlier this week, uh, they also said that global population growth fell below 1% in 2020 for the first time since 1950. And according to the latest projections, the world population could grow to about 8.5 billion in 2030, 9.7 billion in 2050, and peak around 10.4 billion during the 2080s. Um, back in 1990, it was about 5.28 billion. That wasn't that long ago. And one stat that always floors me is this one. It's estimated that the population of the world reached 1 billion people for the first time in 1804. It would be 100 years before it reached 2 billion, more than 100, 1927. Now, less than a century later, it's 8 billion. So we went from 2 billion to, in 1927, to 8 billion in 2022. So this all presents some challenges, specifically since most of the growth is now happening in certain areas and none of the growth is happening in other areas. And to look more at both the challenges and the opportunities, I'm joined by Dr. Toy No. He's an epidemiologist and the head of the Social and Behavioral Science Research Department at the Population Council in New York City. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much for having me. So we are headed towards 8 billion. Uh, we know that there was a decline in population, we thought, or at least population growth during the pandemic, but we are headed towards this 8 billion figure this year. Uh, that strikes me as being a, a milestone, obviously. Yeah, of course, it's a milestone. We're quickly moving toward 8 billion. And uh, what is striking to me is that fertility rates have fallen to 2.3 births per woman and continue to decline. And just to put it to context, when the Population Council start, started working on population dynamics in 1952, it was five births per woman. So the balance of the world population has changed and con will continue to, to do so. For, in, for instance, India will soon replace China as the largest country, and most growth in the coming decades will be in countries like India, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Philippines, and a few others. One thing that I think would be really great to mention is that over the next few decades, we will see migration become the sole driver of population growth in high-income country. Uh, and by contrast, for the foreseeable future, population increase in low and lower middle-income country will continue to be driven by excess birth over deaths. And for me is that, um, the, the, what's striking here is that we'll see the rising uh, generation of adolescent and young people uh, in many of the lower middle income countries. So for instance, one in five adolescents in the world live in India. So we got to think about this rising generation in the face of the global pandemic, the global, of the, the global climate crisis, as well as the, uh, the recession that we are facing now as the world. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the things I was looking at is, is of course, the UN's also looked further ahead to 2050 and then predicts will be about 10.4 billion by then. But just eight countries, um, you know, half the projected increase is happening in just a few places, just eight countries, as you mentioned, you know, Egypt, Ethiopia, Congo, India, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Philippines and Tanzania. That seems like a, an awfully concentrated growth compared to what we had experienced over over the decades previous. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, many of the growth right now is concentrated in uh, those countries. And this is a critical moment to call on the global development and the global health community as government is this country to really think about uh, a moment of safeguard and harness the potential of the larger generation of adolescent and young people in, the, in this country. I mentioned before, India is home to the biggest cohort of this group. And as India takes over China as the world's most populous nation, it's critical that we start tackling issue that is more upstream. So gender equality and doing that in early life, protect access to comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care and support uh, pathways to quality education and decent work for the rising generation of young people in this country. Um, and it, it is projected that less than half of young people will find formal jobs in the coming decades, which can stop uh, economic prog progress and risk to security and stability. So more and more, I would encourage that policymaker governments, not just in those countries with rising population, but government all over the world to really invest in paying attention to this rising generation. Because obviously one of the things that happens is there becomes a disconnect because as you've mentioned, um, a lot of the growth is happening in sub-Saharan Africa uh, and other places, but, but in Europe, for instance, and in other parts of the world, population growth is actually, I mean, at least population growth within the countries is actually reversing. It's, it, it's going backwards. So, so I, I suppose the call here is to make sure that, that countries that are, uh, that are experiencing a decline in real population growth uh, do pay attention to those that are not. Yeah, I think uh, that we have seen a major shift in the last few decades. Uh, and we have seen uh, decline in fertility in many places, but aging uh, has become a major um, uh, demographic shift as well as urbanization. So for a country like in Europe and uh, uh, that, ex that are experiencing uh, an aging population, how do they think about supportive infrastructures to support uh, the aging population, but also thinking about international migration, for instance, you know? So uh, essential job that keep daily society running are often done by newly arrived immigrants. So there are millions of refugees and displaced people around the world. So international migration can be harnessed as an engine for economic progress, as it is introduces new talent, new workforce, for Asian society like uh, Europe, as well as social and cultural privacy. And yet often um, we're seeing the opposite when, when these confronted with these, uh, with, with migration, which I suspect will continue. Uh, many countries in other parts of the world tend to start to shut their borders, right? To that, to that, uh, to that movement. Yeah, I, I would just, you know, uh, as a researcher, I want to point to the evidence that there's a study here in the United States that show uh, in Detroit that show that while Detroit continues to suffer in terms of economic downturn and population loss for the fifth decade in a row, 
two neighborhoods in the city with high concentration of immigrants from Bangladesh, Yemen, Mexico, Central America show different trends. The population grew, the neighborhood improved, and more new businesses opened. So my recommendation and my hope really that uh, host country would understand the long-term positive social and, uh, and economic progress refugees have on their society and investing in them and not turning them away. When we look at what's driving some of this population growth that we're seeing now, I gather it's a, it's a mix of things, certainly in, in sub-Saharan Africa, where you're seeing, uh, you're seeing longer life spans, uh, certainly for, for children being born and also, uh, children living through, living through their early years at a higher rate. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I think one of the great news about this projection is that we are seeing people are living longer. So I think that's like one of the great news that coming out of this report that, life expectancy have increased. I'm speaking with Dr. Atoy No. He's an epidemiologist and the head of the Social and Behavioral Science Research Department at the Population Council in New York City. We're talking about uh, statistics or projections released this week by the United Nations saying that we will reach 8 billion people on this planet, they say by mid-November of this year. It's not an exact date, but it's close. And also one of the other big stories emerging from this is that India will replace China as the world's most populous nation in 2023. We're looking at some of the impacts of that, some of uh, what we can expect uh, with these numbers. They certainly are. uh, The growth is happening in specific countries, most of it in eight countries uh, uh, specifically. And and it's not happening, obviously, in in the developed world, in places like uh, Western Europe and in, in North America and so forth. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about the uh, about India becoming the world's most populous country, because that is a big change. I think for my entire lifetime, it has been China. Um, and we'll talk about some of the other statistics that emerged and what they mean after this. My guest is Dr. Toy No. He's an epidemiologist and head of the Social Behavioral Science Research Department at the Population Council in New York City. We've been talking about UN population projections out this week that show a few milestones, 8 billion people uh, on this planet, they predict, by November the 15th of 2022. And India will surpass China as the world's most populous nation uh, next year. Uh, Dr. No, th- that's an interesting, I mean, I think for my entire lifetime, China has been sort of the symbol of the most populous country in the world. Um, there's a lot going on here that, that that explains the difference, but what does it entail for two of the biggest economies in the world that uh, one has become more populous than the other? Yeah, you know, I think China has uh, um, the sort of population policy that was focused on the one-child policy. So I think that this has an impact on that. Recent years, China have kind of eased up on that policy. Uh, So, and then what we're going to see in the future for China is a more aging population uh, because of a consequence of that policy. Uh, But also in India now, uh, as I mentioned before, it's going to overtake China as the most populous nation. But uh, again, in, in India is that 1.5, one out, one out of five adolescents in the world live in India. Now we got to take a pause and think about that. That's one out of five adolescent and young people live in India alone. So how, how do we really harness the, the social and economic potential and progress that this largest generation uh, can uh, support uh, India development. So one thing that I want to point to is that through uh, this largest study that we have in India at Population Council, it's called Udaya Initiative. Uh, It's a large data set uh, in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh. 
which are two of the highest pop, uh, poverty areas in India, but also highly populous. We've been able to track more than 20,000 young people to better understand their life trajectory. And we found that major gender gaps in school enrollment and literacy and numeracy with boys outperforming girls on all measures and girls who were married in the, uh, in the first study wave at the greatest uh, disadvantage. Boys are also assessing mobile phone and the internet at the higher rates, enabling them to participate fully in the increasing digital economy and maximize their human capital in the Indian context. So this is just a sketch of some of the condition underpinning outcomes for India, young people who will drive progress for the world's soon most populous nation. So I, I think what we got to pay attention to at the global economy is that how do we invest in larger generation? Uh, one of the things I found really fascinating about this report, because I wasn't aware of just how much it had changed, is, is how global life expectancy has improved dramatically since 1990. It's up almost nine years. So 72.8 years for babies born in 2019 to reach 77.2 by 2050. Now it's lagging in less in poorer countries, but still it's up. What's behind this dramatic shift in such a short period of time in life expectancy? Yeah, I think uh, these numbers are expected then. I think um, uh, over the past few decades, we have seen that um, life savings, drugs, vaccines, and health solutions have improved all over the world. For instance, better treatment for HIV AIDS, which are a leading cause of death in many of these countries for a very long time. We've seen better uh, uh, access to sexual uh, uh, health and uh, contraception all over the world. We also seen uh, really great um, uh, uh, um, life-saving tools for uh, maternal deaths and neonatal deaths, uh, which has been responsible for a major driver of mortality in some of these countries. So, and, and together with some of these uh, life-saving tools, we also see um, better education attainment for people all around the world. Um, children are enrolled in school and graduating at a higher rates. We are seeing people are entering uh, the, the labor force. So uh, for me is that is the driver are not only health, but it's also health, uh, quality education, but also the investment in economic opportunity uh, for people. By 2050, we're going to see a real shift uh, to some extent in, in, in the most populous countries, the 10 most. I know that most of us probably learned this in high school or at some point. I know many of us have looked at it again. But by 2050, the prediction is that India, then China, then the U.S., then Nigeria, Pakistan, Indonesia, Brazil, Congo, Ethiopia, and Bangladesh. Those will be the 10 most populous countries in the world. That's a real shift uh, in that, and, and also in the power dynamic, because of course, big populations mean uh, lots of economic opportunity, lots of growth for opportunity for economic growth. How do, you've mentioned it earlier, but how do we have to harness that? What do we need to do to make sure that all that youth and talent isn't isn't wasted or isn't simply uh, you know trying to get out of those countries? Yeah, I think I think first I would say that uh, will social uh, social economic inequality within and across groups and country are tied to exclusion and differential access in money, resources, and power, and et cetera. And this is 
this clearly raises many questions about how people can and will adapt to the crisis of global recession, pandemic, and climate change. So for, for me is that we really got to really think about how do we invest in, uh, continue to invest in better education for the, the rising generation. Because if we don't. Because if we don't, then uh, we will face many, uh, not only economic risks, but social, uh, social insecurity uh, risks around the world. Dr. No, thank you so much for your time tonight. Appreciate your time, Ben. Thank you.